0: and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show.
1: And greetings. Happy Monday. Thanks for joining us here live and on demand on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Totters and Aaron McIntyre are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us, we're going to have open phones in the second hour of today's program. 888-900- Thirty-three ninety-three is the number. That's 888-900-3393. We're thinking we might make this a regular thing in the second hour on Mondays. Kind of a a town hall topic of the week. Because we have a lot to say throughout the course of the rest of the week. And we just kind of give you guys some time to tell us what you think. And, And since we're not CNN, it's actually a place where you tell us what you think. As opposed to us telling you what you're supposed to think. And then regurgitate that back to us. And I think the topic later today is going to be the economy. Uh, more on that here in a moment. Eighty eight nine hundred 900 3393 You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Show. I mentioned we've got a town hall coming up a little bit uh, later on in hour number two. We'll take your calls then. At the bottom of the hour, I'm going to share with you some uh, email communications I had over the weekend. I I mentioned this guy on Friday, a little birdie of mine who is a very successful wealth advisor and has been in the industry for a long time and is very, very right wing. And some of his people that he calls clients or he's advised some of them would be names you would know. So after I referenced him on Friday's show, I went back to him to try to get some more details on, on what he was thinking. And I'm going to share some of those with you in, in the next half hour, at least as many of them as I understand. <laughs> All right? So I'm not, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not wonky when it comes to this topic. I totally get uh, and have a handle on the worldview ramifications here. When we start getting into the real wonky part of the issue. That's where you go get yourself a a professional with expertise, all right? So I'm going to share some of that information with you a little bit later on. Also, Aaron's montage is coming up here in a moment, but before we get to that, you know, there was a time when Americans would come together during times of tragedy. We would stand together uh, in unity because at the end of the day, we're all Americans. Unfortunately, there's a part of this country that wants those days to be gone. And and you're seeing this more and more in the corporate sector where you are seeing big business um, using our hard-earned dollars after we spend it on their products and services, using it against us and our values, especially in the mobile phone industry. Companies like Verizon are big donors to radical left-wing groups. That's where Patriot Mobile comes in. It's the only veteran-led conservative mobile phone company. And they take a portion of their profits and give them to conservative causes. In fact, since 2015 Patriot mobile has been responsible for donating about $2 million to the values and causes that shows like this here at blaze TV and people like you are interested in conserving for this and future generations. And with plans starting as low as $25 a month, why not get the same crystal clear nationwide service, but with people who believe and agree with the same things that you do. In fact, uh, right now, if you're listening to us or watching us here at Blaze TV Radio and podcast, as a special offer, you can upgrade your phone to the brand new Moto Z3 Play. The brand new Moto Z3 Play for only $5 a month. That includes a 6-inch screen, expandable storage, a high-quality camera, and more. Switching is easy. Just go to patriotmobile.com. Slash blaze, patreonmobile.com slash blaze, select your plan and save a total of $180 on the brand new Moto Z3 play today. Patreonmobile.com slash blaze. And now here's Aaron with an update on what happened while we were away.
2: What Happened While We Were Away, brought to you by How Not to Primary Trump. Former Congressman Joe Walsh formally announced over the weekend that he's going to be vying for the GOP nomination against President Trump. George, we've never had a situation like this. You can't believe a word he says. And again, I don't care your politics, that should concern you. He's nuts He's erratic, he's cruel, he stokes bigotry, he, um, he's incompetent, he doesn't know what he's doing. George, he's a narcissist. So that's your opening salvo, Joe, just saying the exact same thing every single Democrat says about Trump? It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. GOP mega-donor David Koch passed away on Friday at the age of 79. The legacy of David Koch was so indelible, even leftists paid their respects.
3: David Koch of the Zillionaire Koch Brothers died
0: please of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to
1: reevaluate my low
2: opinion of prostate cancer.
1: F*** <laughs> him. The Amazon is burning up. I'm glad he's dead and I hope the end will come.
2: Speaking of deaths, it's been about a year since former Senator John McCain passed away. His widow, Cindy McCain, went on a TV circuit over the weekend to discuss what she thinks her late husband would think about the state of American politics. I'm surprised at a lot of things. Um, I'm, I'm, my, this party is not the party of Abraham Lincoln that I've seen anyway, nor the party of Ronald Reagan we're the ones that are. You should be nonpartisan. We're the ones that should be working for the good of all. I believe this pendulum is going to swing back. Um, I don't know when, but I just don't believe that we're going to stick right here on the side that's just disruptive and mean and non-progressive. Non-progressive. Got it. CNN media watchdogger Brian Stelter allowed a psychiatrist to come on his show and say this.
0: Lumping the mentally ill with Trump is a terrible insult to the mentally ill, and they have enough problems and stigma as it is. The second issue is that calling Trump crazy hides the fact that we're crazy for having elected him, and even crazier for allowing his crazy policies to persist. Trump is as destructive a person in this century as Hitler, Stalin, and Mao were in the last century. He may be responsible for many more million deaths than they were.
2: Reverend William Barber spoke in front of the Democratic National Committee. We,
0: When we embrace moral language, we must ask, does our policy care for the least of these? Does it lift up those who are most marginalized and dejected in our society? Does it establish justice? That is the moral question. If someone calls it socialism, then we must compel them to acknowledge that the Bible must then promote socialism. Jesus offered free health care to everyone, and he never charged
2: a leper a copay. Nancy Pelosi also spoke at the DNC gathering.
3: you got to be ready to take a punch. And therefore, you have to be ready to throw a punch for the children. A throw a punch for the children.
2: On the campaign trail, Joe Biden was in New Hampshire and shared his thoughts about that beautiful state. I'm
0: back. I've been here a number of times. Last time was, I think, uh, all the way back in 2014
1: but I've been here before that. I love this place. I lo- Look, what's not to like about Vermont in terms of the beauty of it? And what a neat town.
2: According to a report from Axios, so far in Donald Trump's presidency, more than 60 miles of existing barriers and fences have been replaced with new wall, but not a single mile of new wall has been built where no barrier previously existed. Learning Spanish today, today's phrase is LOL. cha and finally, President Trump reportedly suggested nuking hurricanes to stop them from hitting the U.S. And that's what happened. Well, we were away.
3: Trump's denied that, by the way. VMNL. Cool. Yeah. I think that's... I speak for all of us. Unleash the nuclear hurricane after that.
1: Uh, about this time every year, our attention turns to the solemn anniversary of 9/11. It's a moment when we reflect on those who gave their lives that day and those who would pay the ultimate sacrifice in the years to come, defending our liberties in places from Afghanistan to Iraq. 18 years later, we find ourselves seemingly in a state of permanent war. We're warned that the Islamic State is poised to make a comeback. We watch as the crescent of Iranian influence extends its long shadow, and in Afghanistan, our leaders are negotiating the terms of peace with the Taliban. I want to tell you about a recent film that ties this all together. Mosul is the story of the last battle of the Iraq War. Documenting the 2016-2017 fight against ISIS in Iraq's second largest city, directed by former CIA officer Daniel Gabriel, Mosul is much more than a war story. It's a journey that will take you up to the Tigris River, into the heart of darkness of the ISIS caliphate, revealing an apocalyptic battle against two unyielding enemies, violent Islamic extremism, and the sectarian mistrust and hatred that will remain long after the politicians declare victory. Mosul is available now on iTunes, Amazon, and, v- and Vimeo. You can visit www.mosul-film.com, M-O-S-U-L, for those of you listening on the podcast. Visit www.mosul-film.com. Oh boy, those top few things in your montage. We could do whole shows on every last one of them. Let's just take them in order and I'll get through as much of this as I possibly can. And you guys feel free to chime in and interrupt as you feel necessary. All right. Let's start with Joe Walsh. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to be fair. You'll, you'll note I've, I've not said anything about this escapade all weekend long. Janet Jackson, Miss, Miss Janet, if you're nasty, right? I've, I've not said anything about it all weekend long, except pointing out that he once beat me out for a job uh, in drive time in New York City with Salem. They gave the job to him. It came down to him in May. They gave it to him. But then they put me in national syndication, so I got a better job. And And then when I left to come over here, they they gave him the time slot we used to have, 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern that they created for our show. I've had very limited interactions with him on Twitter, um, and when I say limited, I mean like limited, you know, I don't know him. I've never met him. I've never heard him on the radio. I didn't even know he sounded like that, but I will tell you from what I've seen of him on Twitter, that doesn't sound like the guy I've seen on Twitter the last few
2: years. I know.
1: Okay. I mean, I, I, that, that, this, this strikes me as very Joe scarborough Scarborough E there. I think I got it right phonetically that time as in I did everything I could to help this guy. I mean, I'm sitting there on the Cruz campaign. Walsh is one of those guys that was, tell me, let's assume everything he says about Trump is true in that clip, everything. And I think probably I've said the vast majority of it, frankly, over the, over the years, but for the sake of this argument, let's say all of that is true. All of it. Tell me what wasn't true in 2015. During the primary, do you know what wasn't true during twenty fifteen? Can you think? I'm asking you guys. No. Anything? No. Tell me before the twenty sixteen election. Tell me. Tell me how much of the, how much of that is new that could not have been said before the twenty sixteen election.
3: Well, Any of it? It's the reason why when you were asked to ultimately join that campaign, I, that I did not. You did not. Yeah. So now.
1: Now that he's actually done a few things, and I mean few, okay, I, I, don't buy the propaganda that he's kept all these promises. That's not true, okay? It's not. I mean, Aaron just pointed out in his montage he hasn't kept what was the what was really the fundamental promise of his entire candidacy: building a wall, and Mexico will pay for it. We're not even supposed to. the The, the memo went out in conservative media. We're not even supposed to talk about the and Mexico will pay for it anymore. I don't care. But now we're not even building the wall. Period. All right. But that notwithstanding, now that he has done a few things, he did get us out of this horrible Iran deal. Now his State Department is trying to get us back in all the time. And probably if it wasn't for Ted Cruz going public with that on a routine basis, we probably would have gone ahead and, and gone back on that. But we haven't. We got out of that horrible Obama deal. We we moved the NBC. We cut taxes. All right. I don't think Brett Kavanaugh will be a great judge, and I think he's already proven that. I think Neil Gorsuch is not Antonin Scalia, but I think he was was worthy of of winning a presidential election again on the court. He, I think he's a he's an absolute I don't think Brett Kavanaugh is much of an upgrade over what you would have gotten if Hillary were elected. I don't. Uh, but I think Neil Gorsuch is an absolute upgrade over what you would have gotten if Hillary were elected of the 60 some odd federal judges that have been or, or circuit court judges across the country that have been approved. Most of them are probably terrible and came out of terrible law schools and totally worked over. But let's say let's say a third of them are good. That's twenty judges that are clearly superior to what you would have gotten if Hillary were president. Think, and I think I'm being conservatively estimating fair here, right? Sure. Okay. So these are things we can absolutely document that are better that he has done that since he's been president. Correct. Sure. And so now that he's actually done some of these things. See, I totally get, because that's where I was at. That's the conclusion I drew. I totally get when he hadn't done a damn thing. And and trusting this guy's word based on, you know, his history was was, a, was too much of a gambit. I, I get sitting it out. I, I did. That's why I did it. I didn't think we'd get any of this stuff. And we really haven't gotten that much stuff. But I didn't think we'd even get that. <laughs> All right? But now, suddenly, that he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations... Now, suddenly, all these character concerns that Joe had no problem negotiating in the primary now suddenly they matter.
3: I will, I, something specific happened, and it might be personal because it's, I don't know, it, it's been a while now, actually, it's been several months where Walsh has resembled. Scarborough, Bill Crystal, David French—it didn't just happen today. So, at it, 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 at some point, something got to him, and it wasn't just yesterday, because he's been ranting and raving for a little while now. But it but it's clear when you go back, there was—I mean, people, that's one other thing that people keep talking about—that you're not the only one to realize that he was you know, fine. He was—he had his own little jingoisms about uh, Trump back in the. I day. mean, the
1: day he, he like right before the election, he tweets out. On November 8th, I'm voting for Trump. And if he doesn't win on November 9th, I'm grabbing my musket. Yeah, yeah, that kind
3: yeah. mean, I mean something kind of, yeah. really
1: changed. What, what what was what was it, do you think? Uh, what? What? Tell me, tell me what has happened that is new that, that takes it up a notch. If anything, and man, I ripped him a new one on this show the last couple of days of last week. All right. But if anything, the whole scam of Russian collusion. Everything else that they've done, they tried to pin mm-hmm. on this guy since he took office. If anything, I could actually see going the other way. I could actually see going the other way of, you know what, man, if that's what the system is, I can't stand this guy, but I'm, a, I'm willing to forgive a lot more if now that they've kind of showed us who they are, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, can, I, know. I can understand that thought process, and on a given day, I've actually been in that place. Right now, I'm, right now, I'm kind of at the place where I won't vote for this clown show no matter what the alternative is now 24 hours from now, right. I might have a different take. I don't All right. know. All right? But I really don't understand how with any intellectual honesty or integrity, you can make the case that just now, after he's done actually a few things that are good now, suddenly his character concerns are a bridge too far for me. That one I, do, after before I was, before he had done anything before he'd accomplished anything, appointed anybody made a single decision. During the election and when there were other options on the table in the primary, I didn't give a rip about any of that stuff. In fact, I was cheering it on. The math there doesn't add up to me on any level whatsoever.
3: I think it's one of two things. It's either uniquely personal. On some level, that we don't uh, somehow it hit home, or maybe it's a couple degrees removed with Trump nuking somebody, or just last week you were talking about your own personality. I mean, you don't listen to these shows. The most you know about these guys, their it's shows is when he plays it's clips. Is when it's on, t- yeah. the or it's or on it's Twitter. On, it's on Twitter. Right. You don't know, but you know, I've talked about the, the you know the the elitist conservative club on Twitter and how they love it there. I, I, I this really. They they are consumed with being on Twitter, the opinions of others, and I think it's as likely as not that they just wanted to be. This is the club he decided he wanted to be, and he saw it out there. It's a thought, chance to be relevant. Yeah, I got to pick in, a in tribe. His, in, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably that. In fact, I think the odds are probably 97.5%. That's what it is. Yeah, okay.
2: and and I, I think he probably recognizes, maybe maybe he does, I don't know. He might recognize that the only way he's going to show up on ABC this week or whatever that show was is if he criticizes Trump from the left. Right. You know, and uh, takes the That's same exactly mind. right. And so
1: that's- They weren't going to put him on to say exactly he thought Obama right. was a Muslim because yep. that's what he thinks, Yep. right? He, was he going to get booked on George Stephanopoulos to say Obama's a Muslim? Was he going to get booked to say that? Never. Never in a million years. David Koch. Um, the Koch brothers views on issues that define a civilization. And top marginal tax rates are not one of those issues. Or the Chevron doctrine, not one of those issues. And you're like, what the hell is the Chevron doctrine? That's the right answer, okay? You have the right answer because then you'd be one of these people that you were just talking about, that, that Todd was yep. just blasting. Now, th- those of you who live in, in America, you're, Chevron, I don't even think they have gas stations anymore. You, that's the right answer. Don't research it. Just stick with that answer. You have the right one, all right? Those aren't things that define a civilization. What's a What's a human? What's a gender? What's a border? What's a marriage? What's a constitutional liberty? Those five things do define a civilization. On those five things, David Koch and his brother are far closer to Bill Maher's positions on all of these issues than any of you that pay to subscribe to this every month. I can promise you that. And it's not even like close, actually. It's not even close. The the money that the Kochs threw around, you know, you've heard me tell you the tale of what happened in the Republican Party. They had to move left on issues like immigration to get big donors. And then the minute they started doing that, you stopped supporting the party at a national level. And so they had to replace you by going even further left, right? We've talked about this this dysfunctional fulcrum, Team GOP created in the last generation. One of the primary mechanisms that, that put that paradigm in place were the Koch brothers, among them David Koch. They're one of those major donors I'm telling you about. That's a name, an actual name. He and his brother were driving forces and moving the Republican Party to the left on the issues that you really care the most about. So that there's virtually nothing done on those issues, regardless of who wins the election. And then when something is done, it is either we fully fund Planned Parenthood out of Congress and or it's we further go left when the Democrats are in control. You used to vote Republican to be a check and balance to push from the right on these cultural issues. Now you just do it to put up a speed bump. So you go slower in the direction that the left wants to go. David Koch's one of the main reasons why just is, that's not a defamation. It's a fact. But speaking of defamation for that effort, for the, immeasurable role he created he or he played in creating the unibrow for the for the incalculable role he played in driving the republican party to the left on cultural issues so that when they win you have no idea really who's who and what's different from the other for all of those efforts that he played he is defamed by bill maher and too much of lefty twitter over the weekend as they spit and danced on his grave. Oh, some of this is just tribalism. I get that. It's kind of like, you see this on the right, Mark Sanford suddenly didn't have a 94% or whatever it was liberty score because he criticized Trump. Justin Amash suddenly doesn't have a 90% liberty score anymore because he thinks Trump ought to be impeached. I, I get the tribalism aspect. I get that. That's part and parcel with this line of work. We go up and push up against it all the time. But, it, there, but this, that level of vehemence, and hate doesn't just come from run-of-the-mill tribalism that's not butthurt that's not that that's malfeasance that's malevolence is what that is it's war that's what what it said last
2: week scorched earth
1: yes and so let me say this to you if they're willing to do this to david Koch, who agrees with them far more than us on all the most divisive issues of the era What do you think they will do and say about you? Who doesn't? And that's another, it's one of my 10 commandments of political warfare. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. David Koch gets no credit posthumously for pulling up. David Koch gets no credit whatsoever for moving the Republican party way to the left while the base is way to the right. Gets no credit for any of that. He might as well have just gone to church every single Sunday you know, followed the commandments and loved the Lord, the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because he's getting blasphemed just as if, as anybody else would, if he actually had. And he didn't do any of those things. <laughs> right? He actually moved the party where Bill Maher is at on a lot of those issues. On, I, I don't know that I have mentioned this on many, on many occasions, but Ice Cube's debut album, when he broke away from NWA, America's Most Wanted. There's this little rejoinder in the middle of the album. This album's like 30 years old now, and I wouldn't quote it, except I think it's appropriate in this case, despite the not safe for work language. And, and, it, and, and he says, uh, uh, no matter how much you try to switch sides in the cultural battle, he's, he's, I mean, he's using street lingo, but what he's saying is, no matter how much you try to switch, here's what they think about you. And you just go and then what plays next is a is a compilation of racist the most virulent racist kind of language quote being said in the media and in politics same thing applies here I think it actually ties back to the Joe Walsh story no matter how much you try to switch here's what they think about you play that Bill Marklip. that's what they really think maybe
3: Cindy McCain needs to listen to that too And we will now go to her next.
1: When he passed away last year, we got together as a team and and just said, we we can't, we're just not going to do that. None of us here are fans. I have no idea if anybody else's disdain rivals my own, it would be hard. I, I, I may disdain John McCain more than any, as a political figure. I'm deeply reverential about uh, his service to the country before he got into politics, but as a political figure, I may disdain him more than any figure I have covered or commented on in my career. Why? Because he was a Judas. He backstabbed us on everything. All those issues I just mentioned, the Koch brothers, those five issues that the Koch brothers moved the party to the left on, my whole career, When George W. Bush was going to fight on judges, here comes John McCain with the Gang of Eight. When the Republican Party was moved into the Amnesty Party because of John McCain. Pick an issue.
2: It's a political manifestation of the Kochs.
1: John McCain, when Jan Brewer, the Arizona governor, was going to be the first governor to protect religious uh, freedom after uh, the the first, uh, the Windsor decision from California. John McCain lobbied his own governor to veto the bill because it discriminated against gays. He's terrible on everything that matters. And what was his last dying political act? Do you remember? I had forgotten about this. Someone reminded me of it on my Facebook page. His last dying political act was to go back to the Senate on his deathbed long enough to cast the deciding vote to keep Obamacare in place. Almost like Khan to the last. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. That guy did more to screw us than anybody else has. Anybody else because he was empowered, endless war, pick a topic. Remember, as Syrian freedom fighters, we were going to go there and die for those fiends. So last year when he passed away, we just ignored it, decided we're going to honor the man and the veteran, and we're just not going to get in the mud and show our ass. It's been several months now, and the statute of limitations on that, I don't know, you guys can do whatever you want. It's expired over here, though, where I reside, because I'll be damned. If, if I'm going to watch Cindy McCain get away with lecturing us be- about Trump, oh no, honey, girlfriend, this is your reward. You are the reason, you're the reason the base turned to somebody like this. Because of feckless Republicans like your husband. Own that poop, sister. This is all you. No one other than the way, the Hillary Clinton campaign. No one can take more credit for Donald Trump being elected president of the United States than Republicans like John McCain. This is all on you. You 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 have the blood on your hands, and, and I will be damned. Maybe other shows will let you get away with it. I won't. This one now, I'll give you some from hell's heart. I stab at the ear on this one. I'll fight this one to the last dying breath. Revenge is a dish that is best served cold, Khan once said, and it's damn cold in this studio every day, isn't it? Not quite Glenn Beck cold, because I don't know how they do that in Dallas. I mean, even I thought that was cold. But short of Glenn Beck's studio, this is the second coldest place probably on earth, uh, at least in the Western Hemisphere right now. And no way, sister, are you getting away with that? This is yours. You own this. This is all you. This is your reward in full. And if if this is how they now want to play this because I'm I'm beyond tired of the sanctimony. If this is now how they want to play this, then as far as I'm concerned swing away. Go into Canaan, lay waste. Leave no livestock, nothing to chance burn it all all the dross because if there's one thing that the McCains need to be in terms of political it's the dross burn it Oh, boy, man, I'm a happy camper. Got home on Friday, massive box in the mail. Apparently, the powers that be got tired of me hitting them up every month for my relief factor. Um, uh, I guess we'll call it a refill. So I think I'm good on that front for a while. They made their points. <laughs> I'm not quite saying it's like that scene in... Uh, uh in um miracle on 34th street when they bring all the mail in all the santa claus letters but let's just say we're i define a, a separate closet space to store my refills of uh relief factor so they got the message i like this product they got they wanted to make sure i had my supplies so i didn't have to keep bugging them thank you i'm a huge fan um, and what I love the most about Relief Factor, hundred percent drug free, even though it was created by doctors, because what that tells you is these guys get it. They they get that the body was made to be healthy. All right, it wasn't made to live forever, not you know east of Eden, but it was made to be healthy. Now east of Eden, we get um, you know afflictions and we get injuries. You know, go get professional medical care for those things. But then, you know, nowadays for all of our advanced technology, we suck at doing something previous generations that didn't have antibiotics and stuff like that. We're much better at, and that's fighting inflammation in the body. That's why farmers worked all those hours. That's why guys stood all those hours on their feet You know, on Henry Ford's assembly lines. How did they do it? Well, they were better at fighting inflammation in the body than we are today. And that's where Relief Factor comes in. It wants to do something about that chronic pain that is pain from inflammation with its special formula of four key natural ingredients. I love this product. If you want to try it, get the starter kit just to see if it works for you, all right? A dollar a day for three weeks. That's it, 20 bucks to find out, hey, is is this the relief I've been looking for? What do you got to lose for a dollar a week? Or a dollar a day, 20 bucks for three weeks, I think maybe the pain. So give it a shot. Relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. All right. I want to spend the bulk of the rest of the show today talking economic matters, especially in light of what we discussed Thursday and then especially on Friday's program. And next hour, we're going to turn this over to you. I've gotten several emails on this topic. I'm going to share those with you guys. And we're going to open up the phone lines at 888-900-3393. We're going to do a little town hall on your position on the economy and trade wars. Just your thoughts. And it's going to be open-ended questions because we really want to know what you think. Even if you think... We're full of bunk. I got some emails along those lines. We'll share those with you as well. But when I left here Friday evening, I got a hold of this little birdie that I mentioned um, on the show on Friday and said, Hey, give me some stuff that I could share with this audience firsthand, some of your observations. So I'm gonna spend a few minutes sharing some of what he sent me. And when I say some, it's just it's what I understand. Okay, I'm not, and I'm not wonky where this is concerned. I, 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 minored in economics for like a semester, but I minored in a lot of things in college while I was majoring in super tech mobile. <laughs> All right. So when when we when we talk about the worldview divisions, I, I'm I can I can hang with the best of them on that. When we start getting in though to the nuts and bolts of applied theory. That's where I got to give way and let people with expertise come in, all right? So I'm going to share some of this with you folks that, that I can understand. And what that means is I'm comfortable communicating it to you and then com- having us communicate about it after. And then Todd and Aaron, you guys tell me your thoughts, okay? okay. So again, this guy's been a very successful wealth advisor for decades. Hardcore right-winger. I mean, hardcore some of his friends and clients in this business are names you would know, all right? He says, after 42 years of, of, of being fairly successful, that's the, him trying to be, that's a, called a humble brag, <laughs> right? After 42 years of, of, of relative success analyzing markets, I am completely stumped. Everything I've learned or experienced in the world of finance is upside down. He says, for example, we are growing at 3%. That should be and is generating increases in the revenue to government. So why in the world are deficits increasing? If we are growing at 3%, we should actually be raising interest rates like Reagan did in 1981. Remember, we had 22% interest rates back then to combat inflation. And he was filleted by the likes of Sam Donaldson and Dan Rather back in those days. They said he lost his mind that he will destroy the economy. But by 1983, we were growing again. Rates were dropping and the stage was set for the longest peacetime recovery in our history. Make no mistake, zero or negative interest rates do not work in a free market-based economy. This is what Trump was upset about the, the Federal Reserve late last week as they wouldn't do another rate cut. Um, these, these devices work well for smaller countries or communist socialist nations, or maybe nations just coming out of that, like the old Eastern Bloc countries, but not for well-established free markets. The effects of negative rates take years before you end up seeing the results, but inevitably you'll end up punishing savers. And savers are the backbone of any free market because they're the ones that provide the capital for it to grow. Absent savers. And if, if you look at it right now, the average American household is in a negative savings environment right now. I think that's the first time this era that's ever happened in American history. Absent savers, the Fed becomes not only the lender of last resort, which they should be, but then the lender of first resort. We use the Fed when we should be using private banks who should be paying a depositor a fair return and then the lender that and then lending that money out to others. In other words, an actual rational banking system. But banks are not paying interest. Thus, deposits are lower. So they use the Fed instead of American savers. This can't last. He's describing to you a manufactured economy. You've heard me use that term before, all right? A manufactured economy is what he's describing. Um, Let me stop there. There's more more that he sent, but I want to just stop there so that we don't try to do this all whole cloth and throw 70 things out there at once and get you guys' thoughts on what he said
3: so far. Well, Todd, you want to start? There's a perfect symmetry to me, and I'm in the same boat, and I've said it many times regarding uh, economics be- between our personal household uh, savings and uh, the way we view the debt. He's talking about Reagan and the way things uh, were done, but that that's at a time where people did feel a sense of ownership of getting rid of that debt, and ultimately, and you can uh, put it in the uh, responsibility column of both Republicans and Democrats, to one extent that that uh, debt uh, did uh, uh, lesson and go away but it's it's we've talked about this with China there's there's this this th- th- that debt you know is, is China ever gonna uh, call in the note they're never gonna ever 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 going to do that there, there is now it is exactly what you said it is this manufactured economy uh, and almost like a mutually assured destruction where you're just you're just on this ride now there is zero sense of realistic sensibility of ever getting rid of debt now
1: now there is news today that 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 china's the yen and and some of its other um assets in the global markets are plummeting today with a trade war and listen i hope they panic i highly doubt they will i highly doubt they will why because they're a regime that doesn't have to respond to market forces in the immediacy Like one that is constantly under accountability to the, to, uh, to a skeptical or critical, if not downright malevolent media, not to mention voters. They don't deal with either one of those functions. All right. So, um, but a lot's being made of this today in conservative media, this story. Hey, I, I, I hope, I, I hope everything I said on Friday is wrong. I'm team America. I hope we punk them into the fetal position. I, so it's not that I don't want to beat them. I just don't believe that this is the way that will work. I, I, it, let me give you a football analogy. When I yell at Michigan for running against a 19-man nine, a box on first down every time, when, when the other teams got their cheerleaders, the water boy, and not the Adam Sandler version, like the 90-pound version, all right, and, and they got like the, the second row of season ticket holders all standing right there with the defense on first down waiting for you to run at them and get two yards so it's second and long. You're just a hater, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I, I, when I'm yelling about that, I'm not anti-Michigan. I, I, I'm I, for the team in the winged helmet. I want them to win the game, okay? I just know from having watched this game many times play out, it's not going to work. I just know that, all right? So, um, or maybe no is a tough word for some of you. How about um, tons of evidence to be skeptical at will? Is that fair? Is yeah. that better? Okay. I've, there's a lot of evidence and precedent to be skeptical at will. So, I'm all for conservative media playing up that story. I I don't think Beijing cares what's in conservative media, but in case I'm wrong, I'd love to find out tomorrow they panicked. I just doubt that that will happen. All right. They're not as prone to the immediacy of markets as a political regime as much as we were, which ties back to the conversation that we were having on Friday. All right. Aaron, your thoughts on what I've, what I've shared from this friend of mine so far?
2: Yeah, I, we've talked about this many times, especially towards the end there, which is basically a manufactured economy. There's, there's nothing at the end of the day that is, uh, that is good or right about, uh, right about that. But I think Todd, Todd's, Todd's getting to kind of the the root of this, which is this is systemic. I mean, this goes all the way down into our own households and the, the, what you just uh, um, uh, what you just pointed out about a Navy negative savings environment. That is that is that means that systemically uh, the economy, both of scale and our personal economies, they are screwed up right now in mass. And that's—I I, think—that's what's probably the most confusing part of this: is why are we still growing when we maybe shouldn't be or w- should be going a lot faster? It—it is—I don't know. That—but the, the last part about the—the um, the, the last part about the—you know—the manufactured economy—that's something we've talked about over and over and over again, and it is mad. It is mutually assured destruction, as as Todd, uh, as Todd put it, and that's—that's that's the point. That's the whole point about uh, manufactured economies.
1: So some of you are going to say, "Well, you know, we grew at that rate in the Reagan years, and we had high." Um, or, or some. Let me let me reverse that. Some of you are going to say, "Well, the reason why that we we are taking in record um, amounts of revenue, and yet our debt continues to explode, and we're growing at three percent, um, is because of the amount the government is spending." Right, and and you'd be right about that know, in a, in a sense, except remember we had massive de- de- deficits in the Reagan years as well, because the democratic the Democrats controlled Congress. Many of those years, Tip O'Neill, uh, James, Wright, not interested in any form of deficit reduction whatsoever. Uh, then they tried, then they bullied George Herbert Walker Bush into doing that and they violated his no new taxes pledge. And they were going to, I think they were going to spend a dollar 80 if I remember right for every, un, for every dollar brought in, um, or, or something like that. I remember what it was. Maybe the other way around, and then that turned out to be an entire scam. So we had massive deficit spending in the 80s. Now, the deficits weren't as big in the 80s as they are now, but relative to the era, they were massive. De- they look like, you know, tiddling winks compared to now. But in the 80s, we panicked about those deficits when I was a kid because we'd never seen anything like this before. So it's kind of a relative circumstance. The difference here, I believe, and, and my little birdie can inform me in a subsequent email if I'm wrong. The difference here is that the way that the, the, the private sector was, stimulate, was much more directly stimulated by the growth in spite of the deficit spending in the 80s compared to what we're seeing today. And that's where you get into the banking relationship uh, with, it, with, it, it, with lenders and who's the money being lent to as opposed to, because if, if, if you're using the Federal Reserve as your lender of first resort, that's the government. That's the government. And government doesn't create any wealth. It only confiscates it. It cannot create wealth. It's a, it's a loss leader. Everything in government is a loss leader. That's why it should be limited. Some things, some things de- de- need to be, uh, you know, ex- those expenditures. A military, a police, first responders, okay? But this is, this is where profit gets spending becomes a problem. I, I, I want to say there's about a dozen states in America right now where government is the largest industry in the state. In every state in the union, I promise you, if you looked at your state's budget, the number one expenditure is education in every state. That's government. The two largest industries in America are energy and education. Two, two, two industries that might have the least amount of, educa- of, of competition than any other industries in the country. Everybody bitches and moans about the subsidizing of ethanol and that stuff from states like where I live. And and I worked last year, I consulted on a project with a massive uh, or a very successful ethanol guy who wanted to actually privatize his industry and couldn't get his own industry to go along with it. But did you know that the oil companies are actually more subsidized than the renewable fuels industry, the biofuels industry is? Nobody gets more subsidies than they do. That's why when we had the drill baby drill debates early in the Obama years, ExxonMobil wasn't running drill baby drill commercials. They were running, hey, here's our green energy. Uh, uh, those are all subsidized programs. They're not paying out of their pocket for that crap. So, and, and education, of course, is a complete and total monopoly. You can't even have an ethanol or, or, or a biofuel or a windmill competing with, 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 with petro, like in the energy field. That's all statist. All of it is. So the two largest industries in America are energy and education there they have the least amount of competition. And and when we don't have sabers on the back end, where's the entrepreneurial spirit of new investment coming from? New capital gains, new businesses being built. We heard a lot after the Trump tax cuts were announced of major established companies offering um bonuses to their employees right yeah but did we hear a lot about new ventures being started with that money those are the questions that my
3: little birdie is asking here you guys
1: want to comment on that at all
3: well again i'm reminded if what you just summed up is while china has become more like the united states to a degree by relying more on markets we've become more like china and that's what the the government, yes. the, the government infusions of cash. And so uh, that's where the mutually insured uh, destruction comes in. And, and that's why you do not have to worry about debt, because reality is being turned on its head. You have to worry about debt if you are letting the market forces truly go unfettered. You have to look that in the mirror. We are now in a level of denial because we can be.
1: He goes on here. Uh, to talk about quantitative easing. That's a phrase we heard during the Obama years. Um, And then the opposite of that, quantitative tightening. This is where we start getting into more of the stuff that I think I'm not qualified to give an opinion on. And I'd probably rather just have an expert come in on those things and interview them and let their answers stand for themselves. I don't think that's stuff that I I feel qualified discussing one-on-one with you in the audience. But his conclusion is that the way Trump, or the, the danger that could be utilized here, is in the stock market, and you know that's been one of the primary things that the the Trump administration has promoted, as the evidence of its of its of economic vitality has been the growth in the stock market, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and so if I can as a as best I can as a layman, if I can decipher his concern is that, and again, little birdie, I know you're listening today, so if I'm wrong, email me back so I can correct it on tomorrow's show. His concern is that if we go into more of, of, if we go into a state of quantitative tightening, then since a lot of this economic growth has come from the stock market, and a lot of this is, is not capital gains from new entrepreneurs or new investors or new savers, but from the same people now that were already in these markets, borrowing it from the Fed and not from your, your own private banking industry that then lends some of that money out to everybody else and puts that into the, into the, into the, uh, into the, into the economy. His concern is that if you see any sort of quantitative tightening that affects the stock market since that seems to be the rationale for a lot of the, the economic growth we're seeing now, that that could have massive ramifications down the... Re- because so much of what we are counting on as this economic boom, it, it, I, if I if I understand him correctly, he's, he's, he's drawing an analogy between the stock market now and the tech boom of the late 90s, that it looked great until... Hey, are, is this stock for this tech.com company is it so really worth this he's much? Just
2: concerned this is all built on old money.
1: A bubble. Yes. That the stock market's a bubble. And if the stock market's a bubble and it pops, it could do like what the dot com bubble did. Uh, you know, after Bill Clinton left office. We're going to take your phone calls on this when we come back. Hour 2 is next. Stay tuned. All right, back here with our number two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I'm Steve days Todd and Aaron are here as well. This is now where we open up the phone lines. Let's have a little town hall. Your thoughts, we've had a lot to say, particularly me, over the last couple of days on this show, on the economy, trade wars, etc. Recession, is it is it fear mongering? Is it legitimate fear? All of those things. It we kind of like to find out now what you think. And you're out there, uh, as, as Alabama once saying, you're working a 40-hour week for a living, right? I mean, you're, uh, you're the ones uh, doing most of the living, dying, and, and and bill paying around here in this thing we like to call the United States. So what are your thoughts? 888-900-3393. 888 uh, If you've ever wondered why you can't control your own appetite, Regardless of your diet or your commitment, you always feel hungry. Believe it or not, it may not even be your fault. All right. Scientists now understand that it's not about willpower, it's our nature. Our brains are wired for survival to tell our bodies we need more calories no matter how much we eat. Luckily, your body naturally produces a molecule called OEA, which sends a signal to your brain that you're full. But if you're like most of us, you don't produce enough OEA, so you always end up feeling hungry. That's where those portion sizes and cravings you can't control come from. FDA-accepted Riduzone was developed to provide the OEA we need to bridge that gap. I've been endorsing this product for a while now, and I'm hearing from folks like you that are using it and you're loving it. Riduzone is a safe, vegetarian, and gluten-free supplement. It just simply tells your body to stop eating your full. That's all it is, is that OEA. So stop fighting nature and manage your hunger and your weight with Riduzone, America's number one supplement of OEA. Use promo code Steve right now to get 30% off a three-month supply. Promo code Steve to get 30% off a three-month supply at Riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com. 888-900-3393, 888 900 your views on the economy. Do you think we've been too hard on the president? You know, what's funny is there was, there's a small block of you that have been pounding me in my mentions in my email for months that I wasn't just losing my mind over the tariffs on a daily basis. But what did I tell you on Friday? If, if something proves to work, let's continue doing it. And then when it no longer proves to work, let's just stop. Right? That's that's our big dogmatic position as a show on some of these things. So my my historic historical precedent and my philosophical bias suspected this was never going to work, at least not the way it was intended. But I was willing to let it play it out. Not to mention I'm not empowered to stop it, even if I'm not. Well, it's unacceptable. It's not like I can stop it from happening. I'm not the president. Okay, so but let's see. Maybe it will work. I don't think it's showing many signs of working, but maybe you disagree with that. 888 3393 We've gotten several emails about this. Let me share a couple of them with you guys. Uh, Dennis Whitworth writes, you are spot on with your tariff rant. It's been a big concern of mine for a long time. I wouldn't totally discount the possibility of another full-blown depression. Jim Rickards, I'm guessing, he you guys know who that is? Is that... He's quoting him. And I left his name in the email. I'm thinking that must be a name I'm supposed to know. No. Can you Google him no. and find out who that is? Yeah. R-I-C-K A-R-D-S. Okay. Uh, Jim Rickards thinks we have been in uh, we've been we've been in one for the last several years, but defines it as depressed growth. Watch out below if the US dollar loses its world reserve status. We've only gotten away with all the debt and money printing because we have because we can pay the money back in our own currency. Trump's actions may, may, may be just the thing to get other countries on this planet to dump the U.S. Uh, as its primary uh, its primary currency on the exchange markets.
3: Have you found out who this guy is? American lawyer, speaker, gold speculator, media commentator, author on matters of finance and precious metals expert, author of Currency Wars, The Making of the Next Global Crisis, and four other books.
1: Okay. Is that, have we interviewed him maybe in the past then? Does that sound familiar to you? At it all? does not sound familiar to okay. me. All right, you guys have any thoughts on what Dennis has to say?
2: The thing about the world reserve currency, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's been a concern for quite some time. I mean, if China was really serious about um, getting one over on us, they, I think, I don't know, they could, uh, could, I think, uh, accomplish that. It'd be kind of hard, but um, yeah, he's absolutely right. The only reason why the United States is, uh, has this, faux solvency right now is because they are we the dollar is the world reserve currency which means everything else is up against the dollar it is like the new gold except it's just paper and uh, the united states has the power to print more of that and so it's a worth you know it's effectively worth the most of any currency in the world because it is the world reserve currency if that goes away then um yeah i mean dennis is absolutely right that's something to be concerned about and i you know uh, i i would generally agree with most of the rest of his his email as well
1: let me explain for the rest of you like like me that are, are are informed laymen so you didn't study economics in school and you know a lot of the basics because you're interested in being an informed citizen that's why you're listening to and subscribing to things like blaze tv okay let me let me let me put um let me put an item an item on what what Aaron just laid out for you. What does it mean that the United States is the default currency? Well, the most precious commodity, other than gold, that's that's timeless. Okay, but in our era, gold aside, which is a timeless commodity, the most the most precious, the most potent commodity on the planet is oil. Wars have been fought for it, um, and and of course, a lot of the world's most uh, richest, you know, oil and mineral deposits happen to be in the parts of the world where Islamic radicalism is, is 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 cultivated and and native to the habitat. When Aaron says that the dollar is the default currency, what does he mean by that? He's right; that's true. What does he mean by that? Well, for example, if you wanted to buy oil on the open market, the currency that you must use to buy oil is the dollar. And anywhere in the world, you purchase dollar by, when you see the price of oil per barrel, that's the reason, when they communicated in dollars, it's not like we have our own system and then there's the metric system in the rest of the world, Okay. (laughs) <laughs> right, so like, remember when they had the Montreal Expos and you'd be like, why is it 320 kilometers to a home run? I don't know what that means. All right, well, they have, the rest of the world has the metric system and then we have our own. That's not what this means. It's the inverse of this now when it comes to currency. The rest of the world has their own currency, but the but in in terms of on the global market, the metric system is the US. We're not the exception while everybody else is doing their own thing. Everybody else is the exception to us in this arena. And never is that more prevalent or powerful or politically more um, influential than it's the price of oil per barrel in dollars everywhere in the world. So anywhere, everywhere in the world, when you go onto an open market to purchase oil per barrel, it's in the dollar. That's, the, that's probably the best illustration I could give you in our audience of what it means when you are the default currency. When people want to, to sell and to pedal in what right now is the, is the most valuable, other than the, the timelessness of gold, the most valuable commodity on planet Earth, oil, they're doing it in your dollars. Does that kind of drive that point home? What I'm trying to say here? yes,
3: Yeah, and largely because it's stable and predictable and not prone to arbitrary um, price manipulation. I mean, all of the above. Correct.
1: Let's go. This is from Richard Walker, uh, who says the U.S. has the global currency currently. Everyone who wants to buy oil must buy it with U.S. dollars. That's what we were just explaining. That makes the dollar the most sought-after currency in the world, as per our arrangement with Saudi Arabia. Because of this truth, the U.S. should be the most responsible with its currency than any other nation in the world. The problem with labeling China a currency manipulator is the fact that we manipulate our own currency every day by printing money and manipulating interest rates. We inflate our currency by printing money and then punish the rest of the world while we point fingers at everyone else.
3: That's exactly what I meant. And since Reagan, we've become more like China. That's exactly what I was talking about. When I said on Friday, Trump's big criticism of the Fed
1: is that it wasn't manufacturing the economy enough. Right. Richard Walker just spilled out for you what that means. All right. They weren't manipulating our interest rates enough for Trump. So Trump wants rates cut lower. One of the reasons I'm guessing that he wants rates cut lower is because he has a huge amount of of experience and knowledge when it comes to investment capital, investment banking, investment financing economics because that's what he's done his whole life. He recognizes what my little birdie said last hour, that we're not borrowing from banks who are then, you know, paying an interest rate and a dividend to their investors. And that money gets circulated in a, in a growing economy. We're borrowing against the feds interest rates. So if that's the case, then I'm guessing what Trump wants is he wants lower interest rates so that we can have another housing boom. We'll do all the mortgage refinances, all of those things that we now go back instead of this is just another, we grow the stock market bubble higher. We now look at, well, yeah, I'll refinance my house. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, up, I'll upgrade the house that I have to a better one because of how much better the rates are. And and now I'm dealing more directly with, because there really aren't local banks anymore, but I'm dealing more with private lenders and private banking institutions as, as, as the lender of first resort. That was the term that my little birdie used last hour, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, I, the government per se. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, and therefore offsetting potentially, at least in his mind, the collateral damage of playing trade war using tariffs. Yeah,
1: yeah, the true trickle-down economics,
3: essentially, that instead of
1: the people invested
3: in the stock market in those
1: companies being the primary beneficiaries of this economic boom, and then if you work for those companies and you buy their goods and services, you're benefiting from it as well, but now how do we get you and I individually tied into this, all right? Well, we cut interest rates more, you get more credit cards, you get another, uh, you go buy that next TV, you go buy that next car, you go buy that next house, because the rates are lower, and now we're going through our own private instant lending institutions in order to access that capital because of lower interest rates. Let's go to the phones. 888-900-3393. Take our first call. I've got more emails here. We'll go through too. Let's go to Terry in Georgia, having a little town hall action on the economy. Terry, you're up. Give us your thoughts. Go ahead.
0: Uh, Good afternoon. Uh, My thoughts on the economy are that it's obviously manipulated, but they're not very good long term at all. Because, for one, all quantitative easing is, was the Federal Reserve buying debt, U.S. Treasuries, so that the interest rate would not go up. Because we have $22 Mm -hmm. trillion in debt. If the interest rate on that debt, a publicly held debt, that the government has to pay, or the currency will collapse, because all money is, is it's a promise to get something. It's not really worth anything, except what you think it's worth. So if, you, if that interest rate goes up, then we're paying trillions of dollars just to service the debt, and that's unsustainable. So what, you, what the Fed did is they, the tr- when in 2011, 2012, when they were raising the debt, interest rates on Treasury started to rise because the threat of defaulting on that loan was higher. So people aren't going to buy treasuries unless they get more return on in their investment for the risk. Right. Therefore, right. The, the Federal Reserve, is a shell game to help Obama, so that Obama can spin us into oblivion. This is all part, in my opinion, this is all part of Cloward Piven. Because what they're doing is they're setting us up for catastrophic economic failure. And they could very well, if, if they wanted to destroy Trump, all they would have to do was raise interest rates. Because once that interest rate goes it sets off a chain reaction where those treasury bills rise. So you're having to pay, you're having to, if you pay 5%, okay, the average history long-term is 5% interest is, is low, historically. We're at basically negative interest rates, or maybe 1%. If it goes to 5%, it, it's unsustainable. You're paying 5% of $22 trillion. Now, I'm not very good with math, but that, that's over like a trillion dollars a year. That's almost a trillion dollars or more a year, that you're paying just to service that debt. And then if 200 two hundred funded, funded trillions and unfunded liabilities come due...
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, you're, you're not even talking America's about going. unfunded mandates and liabilities, right?
0: You're, uh, you're done. You can't. That's unsustainable. And I don't care if, it, if the dollar is a reserve currency. Uh, one thing is, if you invest in gold, gold has been relatively low compared to its high in 2011, 2012, because what, what I, I read on a blog that what they're doing is, is that they're shorting gold and they're not selling gold. They're selling contracts of gold, which is basically what money is or what money used to be. It used to be backed by gold. What these, what mm-hmm. Wall Street is doing to keep, they're, they're manipulating all these currencies They're manip- manipulating the dollar, but they're also manipulating the euro, the yen and all these major currencies so that they're relatively comparable to the dollar because if the, dollar, if the dollar crashes, people are going to go to a higher currency to maintain their wealth, or investors' wealth. So they would go to the euro, or they would go to the yen. But if they're terrible and they all crash together, then, then they're not going to go anywhere. So they would go to gold. But they're not going to go – they can't go to gold because what, what Wall Street and what these major investors, these central banks are doing is they're buying – they're buying the contracts for gold over like 30 days So they're they're months. they're, doing they're creating
1: they're they're pardon me just for a second Terry cuz I want to let you finish your point but I want to make sure the audience understands and I understand the point you're making. What I what I hear you saying is that your interpretation is that the reason that the the, the banking industry is all over gold again is they're creating their own economy of scale gold standard meaning an actual currency backed by gold on a, on a on a on a, lim, on a private scale is that what i hear you saying that's what they're doing
0: no what what's happening is that they can only contain. there's market you can okay milton friedman had a saying you can ignore you can ignore the laws of economics but you cannot ignore the results of ignoring the laws of economics and what we have is a federal reserve that practices keynesian economic policy instead of classical economic policy of the austrian school Mm -hmm. like uh Hayek or
3: mm-hmm.
0: even Milton Friedman. So what they're doing is is they're they were, they were keeping gold relatively low. So it's not a – you wouldn't go there as a, uh, a reserve, to a protectionary asset, because what they're doing is they're shorting it. They're keeping it artificially low, just like, okay, they're keeping the euro artificially low, because what they're doing is the euro, the European Central Bank, is buying dollars. So that makes dollars more expensive. So that makes euros less expensive relative to the dollar. What Wall Street is doing is they're buying gold futures, which makes gold less expensive relative to the dollar. But outside of the United States, dollar the dollar, an ounce of gold, actual gold, is $300 more than in the United States. Because in reality, they're not buying gold. They're buying gold contracts to buy gold at a future to buy or sell gold at a future date so what they're doing is they're manipulating but they can't contain it because what they've done is they've created this system that they they think they can control it because they're leftists and they think they can control everything well because there's leftists in the central bank and the federal reserve and everything they think they can control it because they're technocrats but they can't control it because the market is a force in and of itself and uh if, I mean, this, this could go very in-depth, and it's way beyond my purview, but if people wanted to really evaluate it, if you read Hayek, uh, he, he calls it spontaneous order, and he says that the market is an entity in and of itself. And he says he was an atheist or agnostic, but he said the biggest indication that there was a God was market forces because it rewards and it destroys. So if you have property rights, if you have freedom, if you have all this – if you have the rule of law, you're going to be a beneficial economy and you're going to grow. And he says that's what establishes spontaneous order. But if you start regulating the economy, if you start manipulating currencies, if you start arbitrarily applying interest rates or putting price controls in there, what you're going to do is you're going to throw a wrench in there. OK, here's another example. But housing, boom. what they were doing is they kept interest rates too low for too long so that people could afford to go buy a house under low interest rates. What that happened is, is it incentivized people who weren't savers, who who were arbit- who were subject to the uh, the the, uh, the job market and fluctuations. So they bought these houses that they couldn't afford because interest rates were so low because they were arbitrarily put low. What that did is that increased the amount of people who are risky, mm-hmm. and then they 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 monetize that, and it went through the through the uh, financial market.
1: Right. So that that risk this this so la- this this. Th- th- this last point you're making is key because you're you're pointing out something I tried to say last hour in that the the difference between economic growth with massive deficit spending in the Reagan years compared to what we have now is is we didn't have nearly the level of manufactured economy in the 80s that we have now even when it comes to private home ownership and the things that you're talking about right now how subsidized all of these things are how regulated all of these things are that We've created a lot of these entities to be immune from market forces believing we could actually do that in order to have some semblance of a status quo, um, you know, for political parties not to get hammered out of power with an extreme economic cycle one way or the other. You agree with that?
0: Yes, I do agree. Because we we do not live in an actual free market economy. We live in a quasi-socialist economy because it's something like... 20% Twenty percent of the economy is directly related to the government at state, local, or something level. But as a uh, but, aggregately, if you account like the government giving contracts to this company or influencing that or paving the roads, then it's something like forty to sixty percent. So we really don't live in a free market economy because that's the one thing that when when Obama did the worst possible, thing, and he put, he did this on purpose because he's a socialist, Marxist, in my opinion. But if, when, he, when, he took, when he spent the debt through the, uh, through the uh, uh, stimulus package, what he did is he basically – we were quasi-free market up until that time through TARP and all that. But what they did is they directly put the, the Federal Reserve and the monetary policy and physical policy all in the direction of the federal government. And if you'll notice that after the housing boom, after the housing bust in 2008, 2009 – they went directly from uh, – the, the debt went from like 10, eight to $10 trillion to doubled. It went to $16 trillion overnight, basically, within a year or so, within a short amount of time. What that did is that basically socialized and put the driving economic and monetary policy and physical policy, you have it through taxes. And they're, so they're, they, they control physical policy, obviously. But then they put monetary mm-hmm. policy – directly in control of the federal reserve and it's just it's setting us up for failure and in my opinion nobody any economist worth his salt that if he agrees with this he's practicing malpractice because they know that this is not sustainable and they know that it's going to come crashing down and my opinion is is they want it to come crashing down so that that they'll have they'll be able to implement a dictatorship i mean they'll be able to implement a socialist dictatorship across the world and they're already going that way with monetary policy this this financial markets have been going this way for decades
1: and All right, i'm going to share some data with our audience terry great call man thank you very much great stuff appreciate you listening to us here on blaze tv let me let me share some actual data i looked up while terry was talking to, just to just to help even i don't think he needs my help making his points If you heard that call but let, let me just drive his point home even further all right. So the 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 debt the debt ratio or debt by year of gross domestic product. The gross domestic product of a country is its total combined wealth and worth, all right? Right now, it's about 109%. Our debt is 109% of our GDP, which means we're we're a debtor nation. Whole cloth. That's the highest it's been since World War II, when we had a pretty good reason for why it needed to be that. It was like 120% at, at, at 1945, but at that point in time, if it needed to be 300%, fine, because if, if you don't win WW2, you don't really care what your debt ratio of your gross domestic product is next fiscal year. You don't... You don't have a gross domestic product. Uh, you're Zieg Heiling or worshiping Hirohito, right? I mean, that's a that's a historically cataclysmic event. Are we facing anything similar to that right now on the geopolitical stage? Then we might we might say in inwardly, culturally, we're 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 down spiraling there when Wichita, Kansas can't decide whether to have sex offender drag king queen, drag queens be alone with your kids at the library, right? But that's that's not what this is. Markets aren't figuring factoring that in. On a geopolitical scale. Meaning the United States place in the world. Are we facing anything nearly as existential or cataclysmic as are, are we going to be a, you know, an ancillary of the Japanese pacific rim or are we uh gonna be you know um worshiping uh, uh worshiping hitler with swastikas are we facing anything close to that right now climate no. change <laughs> thank you nuclear hurricanes right. the, 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 the the um the man in the high castle is, is fiction to us okay that's what i'm trying to say the man in the high castle is fiction to us it was real to them so they didn't bat an eye about what that would spend, whatever you have to do nationalize. By the way, we were nationalizing whole industries on a temporary basis at that time too. Okay. In order to win this effort, because it's, this was the winner go home moment for Western Civ right there. All right. We're not facing anything close to that right now. And this is the highest debt ratio of GDP we have had since then, since then, when Reagan took office in 1980, when Reagan won the election, misery indexes, gas lines, stuff Aaron's only seen footage of, you and I were sitting in our parents' laps in those, in those big-ass American vehicles without seatbelts back in those days, waiting to get gasoline. Yes, we were. <laughs> All right? While mom smoked and dad smoked, and we sat in, the, in their laps in the front seat with no seatbelts. It was America! All right? Um, you guys take a guess? And that was, considered the, the, that was considered the bottoming out of the American economy post-World War II, the Carter years. Do you know what our debt ratio to GDP was in 1980 when Reagan took office, when Reagan won office? Just guess. It's about, it's 109% now. All right, that's our debt ratio to GDP right now, 109%. Highest it's been since the end of World War II when it was about 120 Can you guess what it was when Reagan took office? By the way, it was 120 at the end of World War II within 10 years. So by 1955, it had gone down to 65%. Prior to the Reagan era, what was considered the greatest economic boom in American history? That era, the the post-World War II Ike era and you saw the debt ratio of, gross of GDP in America decrease basically by almost 100%. All right? So when Reagan took office in 1980, this number is going to blow your mind. America's debt ratio to GDP was 32%, guys. 32%. We had price fixing. We had gas lines. We had, the, we created, we had to create. We had mass inflation. We had to create an economic metric for the Carter years. It was called the misery index. Jimmy Carter was, it was so bad. He went on national television, gave his, you know, ill-fated malaise speech. Hey, you guys, some of this is psychosomatic, man. You got to just start, you know, you got to, don't stop believing. Basically, he just fired up the journey and he got panned for that. It's considered one of the worst speeches any president's given in the television age. And yet our debt ratio to GDP in 1980, 32%. 32%. So we had these massive deficits in the Reagan years. And we did. That's indisputable. Record deficits. All right? When Reagan left office in 1988, his last year, do you want to know what the debt ratio to GDP was that last year with record deficits? I'm going to tell you when we come back because it's going to illustrate Terry and George's point about the mass subsidization and nationalization of the economy and why this time it's different than it was in the 80s. We'll get to that here when we return. Eighty-eight nine 900 is the number if you want to join us here in our economy town hall next. <music> the amazon capital one data breach just hit that put 106 million of us at risk our names home addresses banking information exposed i know you're probably not so much concerned about credit card theft now. You've got identity theft protection. That's good. But your far greater risk is with home title fraud. Title fraud is rampant right now because identity thieves figured out our titles and mortgages are kept online in databases that they can hack. So their big payday comes by forging your name off your home's title. So it appears they own your own home. And with a data breach like this, even if they can't get a credit card to your name or peel through your PayPal account anymore, what they can do now is they've got last four digits of a SOSh, a middle initial, a maiden name, um, you know, whatever you use to verify your, you when you go online to do business, a place like with your, with your mortgage lender, for example, they now have that information. And the first 60 days after a major data breach are key. Because by then, usually uh, the breach, the loop is closed and the scammers like to strike while the iron is hot. That's why we're offering you today 60 risk-free days of protection for your home via our friends at home, Title Lock. Don't be the next person stuck with those late payments, foreclosure notices. Protect your most important investment, your own home. 60 risk-free days of protection available right now at HomeTitleLock.com. Enter your home address when you get there to see if your home's already been targeted. HomeTitleLock.com. Again, that's hometitlelock.com. So we were, we were talking as we continue our town hall on the economy and debt ratios, that the debt ratio right now, as it relates to our gross domestic product, is the highest it's been since we had to win World War II. And within a decade, it had a 100% decrease or a 50%, I'm sorry, a 50% decrease within a decade. So Reagan takes office in 1980. We have maybe the worst economy we've had since post-World War II, right? And the debt ratio to GDP was only 32%. Reagan leaves office. We've had massive record deficits. That's not debatable. You know, a, Everybody's got their narrative of who to blame. The reality is Congress wasn't willing to cut spending. Reagan wasn't willing to stop defense spending to defeat the Soviet Union. And... Everybody's kind of to blame. All right. But after that decade with record deficit spending, a massive increase in, in defense spending in order to put the final nail in the Soviet Union's coffin to win the Cold War, when Reagan, in Reagan's final year, 1988, our debt ratio to GDP was only 50%, not even half. Or 49%, I'm sorry, 49%. Not even half of what it is right now. Not even half. Why? Well, let's look at what's happened since Reagan left office. Since we've had a Republican in office who even understood rhetorically, morally, philosophically, that government needed to be limited. Because we, we haven't really had even one of them all right? since then. Now, we could all argue that he didn't do much when he was in office, and numbers pretty much clarify that that's true. But at least philosophically, he was making these assertions to the American people. We've not had a Republican on the national stage do this since. And we know where the Democratic Party's at, right? So when George W. Bush left office in 1992, it went up to 62%, despite... Violating his no new taxes pledge in order to raise taxes to reduce our debt—it didn't work. We we actually went down at the at the, when at the end of the Clinton year, Clinton era, we actually went back down Clinton's last year in office, 1999 or 2000. His last year in office in 2000, it got down to 55 percent again. That was the last time we ran a budget surplus, not counting the national debt and unfunded mandates and liabilities. That's just what we spent to what we took in for fiscal year 2000. Here's what's happened since. End of George Bush's first term, it went back to 60%. When George Bush left in 2008, 68%. The Obama years. This is incredible. You've heard me say before over the years, bad Republicans always lead to worse Democrats, right? So at the end of Bush's term, second term, we have to suspend the free market principles to save the free market, right? One of the absolute dumbest things I've ever heard a president say, ever, in the history of mass communications. So he leaves office. We go up to 68% of our GDP, is, or 68% debt compared to GDP. One year later, in 2009, it's 83%. One year of Obama, it goes to 83%. Bad Republicans always lead to worse Democrats. So know now, just know now, the rhino you're voting for for governor of your state now is to put off how bad the left is. All you're doing is setting the stage for the Democrat that will take his place very shortly and then we will... Use the bad stuff he's already done to you as the baseline of the new bad stuff he's then going to do when he gets into office. This is clearly articulated here. B- better, this, this actually stunned me that my own principle is even more right than I thought it was when I looked at this actual data.
3: Do you want to talk about John McCain again?
1: <laughs> From 68%, which is, which is, to quote his father, it's bad, it's bad. 68 percent's bad, guys. bad. it went up to 83% in one year under Obama. 90% in year two. With an all Democrat Congress, filibuster proof Senate. 2010, 90% it stayed again. But then we have the Tea Party election, right? 2010, Republicans are ushered into the House. 2011 went to 95%. That's your Tea Party election.
2: Probably wouldn't have gone up if all the money that was grifted uh, would have been put towards the national debt.
1: True. It might have only gone up at least a point or two higher. Yeah. That's a good point. Yes. 2011. 95%. That's your that's Speaker John Boehner and all those Tea Party Republicans you elected. 2012, we hit the, what was called, remember the fiscal cliff? Doesn't that seem like it was 20 years ago? We hit that fiscal cliff in 2012. I remember covering that almost every day. That's when we hit, that's when we were approaching 100% debt to GDP ratio. It was at 99%. And so after the 2012 election, we had the sequester. Republicans now have uh, still control of the house. Obama has been reelected. Both sides, well, actually, the Democrats fought this tremendously. The sequester was going to end us. But we had to have the sequester in order to get to stop from going over the fiscal cliff. 2014, you know, with Republicans wanting to retake the Senate, every financial, every, every political incentive to oppose Obama. It goes up to 101%. I, I'm getting depressed that I'm, I'm actually more right about this than I even thought. I've never run these numbers before. I I was just giving you this analysis experientially and anecdotally. This is the empirical angle. 2015, it did go back down after the Republicans took the Senate to 99%. But then in 2016, with an election year and every incentive to stick it to Obama, it goes up to 104%. 2017, full Republican government. I I, I give you good news. It did go down to 103%. So I guess if we want to be technical about it, we finally found some Republicans who cut some debt. It went to 103%. (laughs) But lest you rest on your laurels of those glad tidings of great joy, the very next year of 2018, Again, an election year. They have every year to have an ins- to 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 be good stewards of people's money. It goes back up to now one hundred and five percent, and it's one hundred and six percent so far for two thousand and nineteen. Highest it's been, and it could go as high as one hundred and nine percent in the next year or two. Highest it's been since World War II. Not all deficit. Here's here's today's lesson not all deficit spending is equal. When you're deficit spending in the 80s, and I'm not making excuses for Reagan, I've been critical of this. But deficit spending in the 80s when we don't have the massive subsidizing whole cloth of industries that we have today. When it when when it when Obamacare didn't make it um, it didn't make a, an x-ray cost you 75 bucks and dudes had to pay for mammograms, okay? Deficit spending in the 80s, while bad, wasn't as cataclysmic as it is when you're doing it now because you're adding to the debt you've already agreed to incur with all of these regulations, subsidies, etc. Gentlemen, your thoughts on this before we go back to some more emails we've gotten from, from folks.
3: Well, I, 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 again, I think it bears repeating, though, that what is the psychology that allows this to keep happening? And along with all that going on, again, I've got to bring up, it, it, it it's China turning into what China is now. And our last caller who was talking about any people could torpedo this at any time, you got to ask, well, If that's true, what is their motivation to do so, and does that actually exist? And again, with China, part of the math on this is our GDP is also, to some extent, in this mutually assured destruction dynamic, it's China's GDP. That's the... There's that added onto it, so the, the math. Well, you and that was fascinating, and I've never had my wheels turn, uh, and they go pretty fast when we're talking philosophy. But in trying to keep up with this today, this is as fast as they've been turning for quite some time. But how does that? Uh, how do, so with all that incurring that in? It should be broken by now, Steve. It should be. The question is why not? And to me, the answer for that is China and the mutually assured destruction that we've established.
2: Yeah, and I said during the break something that our caller Terry pointed out that I just thought was hit the nail right on the head, though, with all of this. This entire discussion was essentially you can try to play uh, with economics all you want to. You can try to foist your own worldview upon economics, but economics, uh, you cannot change economic outcomes. It's, it's basically a law of nature. Eventually, this is going to catch up with anybody who's on the wrong end of this somehow, some way. Maybe it'll be a while, but anybody who's on the wrong end of this, this is going to catch up to. Um, and that should be extremely, extremely harrowing uh, to hear, especially in light of the last 20 minutes or so talking about the debt to GDP ratio. That's, um, that's, hey guys, I, I don't know. I might be understating this, but that's not that's not good. I mean, that's not you're underselling it a tad. uh, Just a little bit, especially when that I mean, is the bill going to come due? Uh, Yeah, eventually someday it is. But when you're thinking about just the interest servicing the debt that we have, that's above our GDP now, um, that guys, that's ruinous and it, all it takes is the right series of events to just ruin this economy. What's left of it. And that could be that could happen
1: sooner than later. See, I agree with that. What I where I disagree is the method that I think the 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 you the wall is is, is achieved that you cannot break through. Like I, I don't believe traditional market forces will come into play here because all of this is manufactured.
3: That's what I'm saying. All
1: right? That doesn't mean, though, you can violate the natural laws, though. Yeah. Right. Those are two separate things. Like, I don't believe there's going to be a global depression, for example, leading to a zombie apocalypse. Um, I, I, I don't believe that. You know, it's because we, we've been operating outside of natural business cycles. If you look at these numbers, pretty much most of your lifetimes, most of all of our lifetimes. That doesn't mean, though, that sooner or later you don't reach the end of your rope. Here's one way that this could be achieved. One way that this could be achieved where you do reach the end of your rope is if the other country that can compete with you realistically on the global stage makes the decision that you're more of a threat to them than you are a partner. All right? So... We are China's largest trading partner. Exactly. However, and I just looked this up as well, American consumers are only responsible for purchasing about 19% of Chinese made goods a year. That is number one outside of the Chinese people. We're talking, you know, external trading partners now. That is number one, but it still means 80% of their markets. Are currently unaffected by a one-on-one trade war with the United States. So, how far do you want to take this? Do you want to have Axis and Allies trade wars? Well, I don't know. Macron in France let it be known last night that he wants to actually do business with Iran. So, I I don't know who's I don't I don't know who's up for a cold war with with China. And like you know, I don't know that we're going to have the EU standing with us to go to war with China on that level. You know, China gets its block of countries, gets Hong Kong, which is you know under Chinese purview, but is in, is still economically considered an independent market. Gets Hong Kong, North Korea, Vietnam, maybe some other countries. I I, I don't know that that we're going to have a unified front. Who's who's the helmet coal in Germany? Who is that? I mean Boris Johnson, the Conservative prime minister of, of England was lecturing Trump yesterday about tariffs and how they've had relative economic prosperity for the last, you know, what was it? What did he say? I think it was a 200 years or 20 years. It was a long time. I don't remember which period of time because without tariffs and Trump's like, what about the last three years? Meaning that if we do a cattle call to say, all right, man, we gotta, we gotta put these shy comms in their place. Who's with me. I think we're going to get, I think we're going to kind of look around and be like, what cool cricket, but yeah yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Cool trade war, man. What do you mean, we Lone Ranger? I think I think there's a lot of Tonos out there, right? So where's your leverage point when you're when you're only nineteen percent of the goods they sell every year? I don't know. That's what I'm asking. See, I, I think you need to leverage this geopolitically and not economically. You need to threaten their hegemony in the region. You need to you need to threaten them militarily. We didn't drive the Soviet Union's command economy into the ground economically.
3: We did it militarily.
1: Find China's China. Yeah.
3: Just that like, but remember, it's not what? it's not just the percentage of the their economy we are. It's also how much of uh, our debt yes. that they hold. Yes. Yeah. Let's get some bullet points in here before
1: we get out of here. Melanie says, you made some points about the tariffs on Friday. I'd not heard anywhere else. Thank you for explaining that to your audience. These tariffs have been damaging my business a lot. Somebody named power says your show Friday was complete BS. Same old boring orange man, bad BS. If I want that, I'd watch CNN. You make your, can you make your criticism without freaking out? Like a child. You're like Don Lemon with emotion. Bobby Smith says China is one of the most dangerous threats our country has ever faced. American businesses and unaware citizens don't understand. There are no other options. And to compound the situation, Google is conspiring against America with China. Time for that game of footsie to end now. T. Iveson says, I voted for Trump, but I wish he wouldn't say and tweet all this dumb stuff. Michael Beaton says Trump has been trying to manipulate the economy for his benefit. He's upset they aren't going to cut rates at the Fed, but if he he keeps going nuts, the markets will collapse and he may get the Fed to do what he wants. However, this behavior is strange and won't get him votes. The Chinese have no need to deal with Trump. He's a short timer. Time is on their side. We've underestimated them. They have plenty of capital, including the largest population. They can still grow their economy without us. You guys have any quick thoughts on any of those points?
2: I think the last one was basically kind of the point that we – that, that you kind of made uh, towards the end here where we're only 19 percent of their, um, of their you know, foreign um, profits essentially mm-hmm. or foreign uh, economy. So I think that is true but still 19 percent is 19 percent and uh, this just goes back to what we've, we've talked about multiple times where they're in it for the long haul. They're not facing elections like we are. So I don't think that's – I just think it's a moot point.
3: Spreadsheets are one thing; motivations are another. And we need to be clear about both. We're
1: going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. We're going to talk Darwinism. For the rest of you, see you tomorrow from noon to two Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace.
0: on the Blaze Radio Network.